Welcome to the In Pursuit Podcast. Here we aim to inspire, inform, and entertain. We explore the human side of the workplace life cycle, from education and career choice to employee engagement and organizational culture. From onboarding and retention to succession planning and separation, we dissect the latest trends and interview the top leaders changing the game through their impact, leadership, strategy, and operations. Whether you hail from the field of education, nonprofit, or business, you're sure to find nuggets of knowledge within these episodes. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Hicks. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the In Pursuit podcast. Today, we're going to dive into a topic we rarely talk about, healing and hope. Our guest today is Joyce Aubrey. Joyce entered life on a small Kansas farm. Her education from a one-room school to university degrees prepared her for her careers of teaching, counseling, retail store owner, and manager. In midlife, she began to have flashbacks to incest and family trafficking that invaded her stable life. Three years later, she found herself divorced, unemployed, and exiled from birth family. In Colorado Springs, she sought healing through traditional and alternative modalities. She shares her journey from trauma to triumph in an award-winning memoir, Beyond Aftershocks. Process painting, along with traditional and complementary healing modalities, helped transform incest from a painful past to an empowered future, as painted images revealed abuse that had been trapped in her cellular memory. She went on to found and for more than a decade has led the nonprofit Finding Our Voices that empowers survivals of sexual violence through art workshops and other activities. As a motivational speaker, Joyce uses her art to advocate for support of survivors and for the prevention of sexual violence. For fun, she plays piano, writes prose and poetry, facilitates process painting, and enjoys cooking her own healthy meals. We are so blessed and honored to have her here with us today. All right. Well, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here today. So start us off with the question of the hour, which is tell us something about you that we didn't just hear in your bio. Well, the most surprising thing that people learn about me when they first meet me is that I'm very open about how old I am. I'm actually 82 years old. And I share that not because I care that you know how old I am, but because I work with trauma survivors and I want them to know that it's never too late to heal and to have a good life. I love that. I love that so much. So tell us more, um, give us a little bit of a sense um, of your story. So we heard some of it in your bio, but, but tell us your story and, and, uh, and what, I'm going to ask you some specific questions about writing your book, but, but give us, give us a little bit more about your story. My story is that I was, uh, um, I grew up on a small Kansas farm and I had successful careers for until my mid 50s when I had flashbacks to childhood abuse. And I loved all of my careers, but interestingly enough, they were all working with women. And here now in my retirement, I say that running a nonprofit for trauma survivors gives meaning to 
my childhood abuse and purpose to my retirement. I love that. So how did you make the transition from the careers that you had to, you know, beginning to recognize your own trauma and, and use that as a gift to help others? Early in my healing process, you know, I really felt like I was going crazy because I believed what I had been told about my childhood, that I was the only daughter, spoiled, rotten, uh, always expected to have my cake and eat it too. And I totally, totally believed that until I remembered the opposite. <laughs> and so I felt like I was going crazy and I had, I sought a lot of help because I had been a counselor at a community college as one of my many careers. And I knew that what I was facing with childhood sexual abuse was something bigger than I could handle on my own. Mm -hmm. So it was through therapy that I was able to make the transition. And the idea that my story could help others occurred early in the process when I had a meltdown at a yoga ashram. And one of the facilitators asked me if I would be willing to share with the other 25 people at the, at the workshop uh, why I went into a processing where I was kicking and screaming and crying. And I said, certainly. And it turned out that by the time the week workshop was over, 18 of the 25 people told me their sexual abuse story. Wow. And I felt like that, that was a signal from the universe that I should use my story to help others face their demons and heal. I love that. I love that so much. You know, it's, it's interesting when life sends us um, kind of those situations, right? And sometimes we just need reinforcement for something that's already kind of deep in our gut, right? That we, we're, we're coming to, to that realization ourselves, but something about someone else validating it um, helps us get there a little quicker, right? I, I feel like I have a measure of intuition and uh, um, have always been able to trust my gut feeling. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I have any more or any less than anybody else. I think we all have it mm -hmm. and we develop it by listening to it. It's it true. gets louder when we listen. Absolutely. So when you were going through your kind of healing process, what made you um, believe or what, what, what inspired you to want to write a book about it and really share it, you know, kind of more broadly? I feel like the written word has more staying power. <laughs> it's yeah. around for longer and it can reach a wider audience. I, I must confess, I spend very little time promoting my book and lots of time promoting and working with Finding Our Voices, the nonprofit, mm -hmm. because that's right in front of me and I see those results. But I feel like the nonprofit is a legacy to every board member and volunteer and survivor who's been a part of it, whereas the book is my legacy. Sure, sure, that's fair. 
uh, it, there's something kind of magical about being able to see those results and those kind of life changes, right? So a book is very personal and it may be part of the journey, but when you get to talk to people or work with people and watch them have revelations of their own, right? It's, there's, there's something very fulfilling and uh, about that. So tell us more about the nonprofit. Um, Talk about some of the, the, the work that you're doing there and, and how it's affecting and helping others. We, we do art to help people process the trauma and the kind of art we do is process or spontaneous art. And I like to compare it to stream of consciousness writing, something that most of us have experienced in English classes or lit classes. So uh, the stream of consciousness painting is not anything about technique. It's not anything about saying, I'm going to paint a landscape or a portrait or a flower. It is choosing a brush that feels good in our hand, a color that appeals to us, and doing whatever strokes, circles, polka dots that the arm wants to do in the hand. So it is letting emotions come through the body onto the canvas. And we actually have expanded. We started just as painting, but we do uh, play and collage and uh, fiber arts and lots of different modalities now, not just painting, because any creative process helps to move trauma out of the body. Uh, there, are, there are, of course, anecdotal evidence that this works, but there's also research now that shows that, that, that um, the action and the process involved in creating art does actually help trauma to move out of the body. And that's because trauma is stored, not just in our psyche, but in our body, moving it out of the mind and body is really important. And so we hear people say things like, uh, it's never been safe for me to talk about my abuse. Nobody wants to hear about it until I came to finding our voices. And we have people say, I didn't think I could do art and I'm not really an artist. And yet uh, they observe that they go from painting dark things at first to incorporating a little light until suddenly they're doing bright colored, beautiful things. I love that. You know, there's something, um, I, I read a book based on, I have a a very close friend who's a, a DBT therapist. And she talks to me about a, a book that I, I was thinking the entire time you were talking, trying to remember the name of it, but I can't, but it was really about, um, oh, it's called the body keeps the score. And I, oh, yes. Besser Vanderkoek. Yes. Thank He's you. He's a God in my world. <laughs> yes. And I found it to be so powerful for my own healing, um, around some trauma that I had in my twenties. And I, I, I didn't know at the time that getting into yoga was going to be therapeutic. I just knew that I lifted weights in the gym and yoga was a, a good balance. And it was, it, it was a tie into my kind of dancer childhood. Um, so I was, it felt very natural to me, but what happened over time was that became, it was so much more than the, you know, kind of quote unquote stretching that people that don't know much about yoga believe 
you know, or know, know it to be first and foremost. And it, it did become such a place of breathing and release because we do, we hold all of these things, all of our kind of traumas in our, you know, in our tissues, issues in your tissues is what they say. Right. Um, and so without even knowing or without even, you know, kind of consciously doing that, I really began to, to find peace and to find a, additional relief from my own trauma through, through that. And I, I can see that art would be the same way, right? It's just, it's about what feels good, what feels like a release, anything that kind of opens the vault, right? And allows, even if it's just a, a tiny sliver and allows some of those, some of those uh, traumas and some of that pain that we hold to kind of seep out and, and help us unpack it, right? Right. You know, in my book, I have three things that I say, I think we need to heal from trauma and everybody can have a different recipe, but this is mine. Mm -hmm. I think that we need to find healing modalities that work for our physical and mental health. Mm -hmm. I think we need to walk away from toxic relationships and find mm -hmm. ones that are nurturing. And then the third thing we need to do is live by our own internal compass. Oh, I love that. that other people's and um you know the the mind and body connection that you mentioned is so important and i really emphasize body work because i i had a lot of body work to release the fear that was keeping all my repressed memories hidden mm -hmm. and uh, that movement for me or body work for me did it but I think other people get it through dancing through running through uh, exercise uh, whatever it is that feeds your soul mm -hmm. <laughs> will help to release that trauma out of your body tissues and when I was healing uh, we didn't have the research to say that every cell in your body has memory and now we know that is absolutely true and that's why we need to work to get it out of our body, not just our mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. What are some of the reactions that, that people have had as they've come through, um, you know, working with you through the nonprofit or working with others in the nonprofit? What if, what if they, um, you know, like give us a, without mentioning anything that was proprietary, they kind of give us a, an inspiration story of, of how, someone maybe had that light bulb moment um, while doing something. We have a lot of people come to us and say, I've known about your organization for years. We've been around for 15 years now. It's amazing. And they say, uh, I knew about your organization, but I was reluctant to come because everybody says if you're around other survivors, it just makes it worse. And I don't know why that exists in our culture because Alcoholics and drug addicts and cancer survivors, parents who lose children, uh, veterans of combat and war, they all seek out their peers. So why do we encourage sexual assault survivors to stay away from their peers? I, that, that is the most um, prominent thing that I can think of that survivors say to us is, uh, I, I was afraid to come that it would make it worse. And it's, 
and I just feel so much better. I now know I'm not alone. I know other people pull their hair out. I know other people cut. I know other people have eating disorders trying to cope with this. And it's so much easier for me to progress in my healing when I know I'm not alone and that that other people have had these same feelings. Yeah, so true. So true. I there is a, a power in uh, in community, right? And community, both whether or not that community means that you are around them all the time, or you're healing along with them, like group therapy or group activities that that with, you know, similar with people, other people that have been through what you've been through, but there's a power in community of just knowing, Hey, I'm, I'm not the only one, um, that this has happened to others. I think, you know, we've seen that recently around, um, in some of the issues that uh, some, some of the social justice issues, some of the, like the me too movement, that there was just this power of a lot of people who had gotten really quiet with their, you know, and sat with their own trauma for a long time. And to say someone stood up and and said, hey, this has happened to me. And it gave people bravery to stand up and say, this has happened to me. And there's there's cathartic healing in that. Um, and that doesn't it doesn't have to happen on a, a big grand national newsworthy stand. It could just be showing up in a room with other people and saying, you know, you're you're not crazy for for feeling this way or for experiencing this. And all of this is very natural, a natural reaction to what you've been through. Um, And that validation is really powerful. I I might call attention to a program that we added just before COVID. Mm -hmm. In October of 20, we had uh, one of our monthly art workshops was on writing. And it was led by a creative writing teacher. And she was just blown away by what our people wrote to the prompts that she provided. And people said, let's keep doing that. Well, then when COVID came along, we started meeting not once a month, but once a week. And so we are still meeting once a week on the web to write to a prompt and share. And it has been a beautiful example of post-traumatic growth. Um, I have my own formula of post-traumatic growth. It's not the one that the experts use, but basically we're meaning that instead of identifying with post-trauma as a disease or a disorder, we're saying, I'm going to get number one, get it outside of myself. Uh, Number one, recognize the injustice or the trauma instead of denying it. Mm -hmm. And two, get it out of myself and share it with somebody. First of all, with somebody that's safe. You don't have to share it with everybody like I did, but you have to share it with someone. Then you have to look for the lessons learned. And once you have the lessons learned, you establish a new normal where you include both who you are now with the trauma recognized and uh, who you who you always were. You know, our true authentic self never gets lost. It just gets clouded over when we have pain, trauma, mm-hmm. when life gets in the way. When life gets I mean, in the culture, way, exactly right. You know, when we're taught by culture, uh, 
patriotic things like women are just here to serve. Um, in, in my life, I was beat over the head with Psalm 31 and the traits of a vir virtuous woman. And I thought I was such a failure because I didn't live up to all those traits of a virtuous woman. Right. <laughs> no, it's really, um, there's a lot to be said for, for, for societal expectations that we take on, whether or not we um, kind of want to acknowledge that, right? Like, whether or not we agree with them, I guess, is what, I, what mm -hmm. I'm trying to say, right? We, there's a lot of expectations, particularly around how you grow up with religion or community standards, community expectations, societal expectations that, that, that shade how then we interact with the world as an adult. And then uh, additionally, certainly how comfortable we are when there's a disconnect between the way that we were told life was supposed to be and reality of life, of what life was. And if we don't feel comfortable sharing or talking about that incongruency, right, then there's, it becomes really challenging to, to kind of overcome trauma whilst, while also bucking a system, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, the current day and age, it's a little scary uh, with Roe v. Wade and, and all of the, you know, sexual violence is one of the most expensive crimes in our country. It's the most underreported violent crime. Uh, we know in Colorado from research from the Wings Foundation that nine out of 10 children do not report. And according to their research in Colorado, the nine out of 10 who don't report in childhood wait at, in excess of 20 years to acknowledge their abuse. According to Child USA, which is an, a national organization that advocates for survivors, uh, the average age for the non-reporting children to get to seek help in healing is in their 50s. So we wait a long time when we don't report as children. And I, I keep hoping that those statistics will change because I do believe there is more attention given to child victims. Uh, there's a rape every 68 cent seconds in the United States and every nine minutes, the victim is a child. Oh my gosh. Uh, I, I know statistics are boring, but there are over a million survivors of sexual abuse in the state of Colorado. So it's wow. not an isolated situation. Mm -hmm. That is, that's absolutely crazy, right? Um, what, what gives you hope about kind of the work that you're doing or the, the, the way that we're that we're kind of allowing trauma to be talked about and, and normalized in terms of getting help. Um, what kind of things give you hope that maybe there might be light shine shown on all of this? The Me Too movement, certainly. Mm -hmm. And that was started by Black women. And I think we've kind of uh, inserted ourselves in their movement. And that seems to be okay with them. I'm so glad. 
Uh, that's one way we can work together. Mm -hmm. And also um, things like No More, there, there are a lot of organizations that, and uh, One in Six, an organization that helps men. I noticed just in the 15 years I've been watching on the internet, there are more and more web sources for survivors. So that gives me hope. And on a very personal local level, what gives me hope is the peer-to-peer -peer interaction. I think that we are around, finding our voices is around for the long haul. Most rape crisis centers only go to court cases or at the most they offer six to eight weeks of counseling. We don't offer counseling per se, we offer a long-term commitment for peer-to-peer -peer relationships and to enhance those peer-to-peer -peer relationships through art activities. Uh, we have writing group, we have a yarnsters group, we have monthly art workshops. And then uh, last December, a foundation in California discovered us and we were doing exactly what they wanted. They funded, uh, four two-day art workshops free to survivors for the for 2022. And we're holding those at the Heller Center. Do you know the Heller Center? I do not. Okay. Um, Mr. Heller was a famous artist and his wife's career we didn't know about until after her passing. They had a lovely Pueblo style home close to the uh, UCCS campus here. Mm -hmm. And they donated that to UCCS, and it's now called the Heller Center. And Dorothy Heller was an undercover investigative officer for CSPD, the Colorado Springs Police Department, mm -hmm. from the 30s to the 60s. And her emphasis was she investigated domestic violence, sexual assault, and called attention to at-risk youth and childhood sexual abuse in those days. This woman was so far ahead of her time that we feel like it is, um, it is just an opportunity to call attention to a local woman who was way ahead of her time in calling attention to sexual abuse. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. Um, What, you know, what would you say to someone who's listening who says, I am scared, I don't know where to go. What if, you know, what if what I have is not, or what, I've, what if what I've been through is not enough or it's not as bad as someone else? Or, you know, what do you say to encourage people to just go and, and, and find out? Thank you for phrasing it that way because minimizing and denying is so natural for each and every one of us. Oh, other people have it so much worse than me. I really am, I really am not worthy of this, blah, blah, blah. And what I would say to the person who is minimizing mm -hmm. is there is, we just don't compare. I don't care if you were exposed to pornography, if you were fondled, if you were experienced a full-on rape, um, 
I don't care if you were stalked. It's all victimizing. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to say this, mine is worse than yours and yours is worse than mine. Mm-hmm. That gets us nowhere. What we say is that we all have similar reactions. We're going to find some kind of ineffective coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. We're going to find something that is more self-harm until we recognize that we have endured injustice and trauma. And then with the intention, we can heal it. I love that. Yeah, and I really- first thing you need is safety. You know, you've got to have a safe place. If your family isn't safe, if your partner isn't safe, if your church isn't safe, find something that is. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know, I'm really passionate personally about this idea of not minimalizing because, you know, my husband was is a military veteran. And one of the things, one of the stories that he has once told me is like, everyone's battle experience is different. And what was not traumatic for me, meaning him, what may be very traumatic for someone else. And he, you know, he has a, he has a story about um, moving a particular member of the, of the cooking staff from one base to another, and they hit some gunfire. And for him, it was just part of every day. He was in, he was in infantry. He was a ranger. He was out in those kind of gun battles on a regular basis. And they were in an armored vehicle and, and all of that. But for this person who was not, who was in a kitchen on a base, you know, serving other soldiers, that was a very traumatic battlefield experience because that's not there every day. And it shouldn't be minimized just because it was not, you know, it wasn't the worst of what one person sees, right? And so we all experience trauma differently. We all experience, um, you know, life differently. And there's something to be said for if you, if it's affecting you, if you don't feel like, uh, you are the same afterwards or that you are coping and you need help, there's no shame in going to get that help and going to find whatever the resource is in order to help you, right? And I think that as women, we often think, well, I wasn't raped, right? Um, and we well, minimize- and Because, that. you know, I, that brings up a subject. Um and I just recently, Governor Polis signed a bill that changed the definition of rape for the state of Colorado because it had the word forcible in it. Right. And yes. so if you've voluntarily gone out with someone several times and then eventually get raped, you feel responsible. Well, I, it was my poor judgment. It's my, you know, it's my fault. Um, and if the rape is facilitated with drugs or alcohol, which let's face it, beer is the number one culprit um, facilitator. Mm -hmm. And so I I shouldn't have been drinking or I should have realized that the punch would be spiked even though they said it wasn't. All those kinds of things makes the victim feel responsible. And we have tried really hard in the time I've been working with the subject to change how the media talks about us because frequently they call sexual assault victims accusers. Mm -hmm. Right. No other crime is the victim called an accuser. 
and words matter. They so, matter very much. And I, I'm really, I'm also very, um, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive to the idea of, you know, like both sides of that argument, which is one is, you know, you don't like people are innocent until proven guilty, but at the same time for, for victimology, you're absolutely right. It's really, we've decided, and quite honestly, there's a lot of gender bias around this particular crime, right? But we've decided that it's a he said, she said, right? And, and that, that it undermines this idea of trauma and of, of, you know, that you are a victim and you're allowed to get help and you should, and you should be, you know, not ashamed of that, right? Um, and, and to seek justice when, when there's justice to be necessary as well, right? We have, mm-hmm. unfortunately, we've seen a lot of cases over the years of, you know, I would say discrepant punishment, right? A lot of victim shaming, a lot of victim blaming, um, and a lot of really light sentences for things that are fairly egregious and traumatic for what happened, but because it was, the, to your point, alcohol involved, or it was a, a kind of a, a wealthy family or a prominent athlete or, you know, any of those things that sort of shade the way that we look at the cut and dry facts of what is um, a crime and what is um, just unacceptable, right, in, in that way. So we have had some, you know, you said, what gives me hope? Uh, We've had some legislation in 2021 in Colorado. We passed legislation to hold institutions accountable when they cover up sexual abuse. And that's the Olympic Center, that's churches, that's scouts, uh, that's a lot of institutions, schools. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other bill that was passed in 2021 was removing the civil statute of limitations for survivors to sue for help. Yes, yes, I think that's that's really powerful because obviously, you know, uh, trauma doesn't have any time limit <laughs> or any statute of limitations. So your ability to seek, um, you know, care or justice um, should not either. So I think that's really. So that's one of the things that we do in finding our voices. Um, Some of our board members and some of our survivors have testified at hearings in Denver for these bills that are helpful um, and supportive of survivors. So I have also, I had the opportunity to talk to all of the therapists who work with the sexual offenders. And uh, I shared, I have 20 some, process paintings that I did when I was in crisis. And through those paintings, I can talk about the healing process and the after effects of sexual abuse. And it would, I would like nothing better than to be able to give co-presentations with an offender. Mm -hmm. I think offenders many times do not think ahead to the consequences of their actions. And if, if we could collectively say, you know, survivors, the, the trauma isn't over when the act is, the rape act is over. Mm-hmm. Trauma continues on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And for the offenders, 
who think they're just indulging, uh, their trauma starts then, and it can be have long-term consequences in terms of their careers and uh, their how they are looked at in society. It, it has so many repercussions that offenders rarely, rarely think about. I, you know, it, I wrote a companion book to my memoir called Little Girls Are Like Kittens, They Don't Remember Anything. That's what my dad told the minister when I was four or five years old after he'd shared my body with that minister. And, and my experience was um, incest within the family for more than a decade and family members sharing my body with others. So in today we would call that family trafficking. Right, yes, of course. But they, they shared my body, not my soul. Right. You know, we held on to that. And that's another aspect that is rarely recognized. People think of trafficking as only uh, pimps and commercial trafficking, mm -hmm. but it happens within families as well. Right. Yeah. It's hard to, hard to wrap your mind around, you know, the innocence of a child being taken from them by their own family. Right. And it, it happens whether it's a trafficking situation like what you experienced or just a single, you know, abuse that is either um, unknown or in a lot of, a, a lot of times kind of denied, right? Like there's um, often a parent that is, has a hunch that it's happening, but there's, they're in denial about the fact that it's happening um, and don't want to face it, don't want to believe that that could be you know, taking place. And it's, it's a really um, powerful thing to say that you have come this far and are willing not only to, to have worked through your own pain and trauma, but to then dedicate your life to helping others, right? To helping others go through theirs. And it's really, really inspirational. And we're honored um, to, to hear your story. So Tell um, us as we start to wrap up what um, how people can get a hold of your book or how and how they can um, engage with you or with the organization moving forward. So the website for the organization Finding Our Voices, uh, we tacked a CS on it for Colorado Springs. So it is findingourvoicescs.org. Awesome. And the book you can get through Amazon, or I have uh, books here. If you would like to have a signed copy, you can uh, send an email to info at findingourvoicescs.org. And uh, the, uh, what you pay for it will go to support the work of the organization. Awesome. Um, and, and I just would like to say that um, I, I think healing is possible for every one of us. We have it within us, the ability to heal from this trauma. And I think that, that healing is reclaiming self. Um, Professor Van Der Kolk and I uh, can't think of the, oh, um, Gabriel Mate say that 
sexual assault results in a loss of self and healing is a reclaiming of self. And reclaiming of self, I think, in, is evidenced when you have physical vitality, mental clarity, emotional stability, and a long and abiding connection with your spiritual guide. Mm, I love that. That is, that's powerful. Well, with that, I just want to thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story with us, for sharing the great, you know, not just the great work that you're doing through your organization and, and, but, but the bravery that you show in both writing about it, speaking about it and helping others process their own trauma. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a real privilege. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support us by hitting subscribe or providing a rating or review. And as always, how can we help you answer the question, what are you in pursuit of? Find out more at www.inpursuitresearch.org.